0: I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. Amen. Our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews tells us this today. But fire can feel sinister, can't it? It destroys people's homes, animals' homes, and pollutes the air with harmful emissions that harm our health. At an early age, we're told not to touch fire, to get out of fire's way, stop, drop, and roll, because it consumes. And yet fire can also energize or comfort when we use it for camping, or grilling, or heating our living room fireplaces on a chilly Ohio evening. Fire does many things, and brings with it strong emotional reactions. Fire is powerful. Our God is like a fire. Both the Old and New Testaments tell us this. The idea first shows up as God gives the Israelites the law on Mount Sinai. If you recall, God's first commandment of ten is to worship only God. And worship at this time was primarily observed through ritual sacrifice, offering what was tilled from the land or raised out in the barnyard by placing grain and meat on the altar to be burned. Our God is a consuming fire, the book of Deuteronomy tells us first, and this Hebrew word consume means quite literally to eat. At Sinai, the Israelites worship by placing food before a hungry God who eats it up with fire. The trouble for the people as the years go by was that God seemed to be constantly hungry, and never quite satiated. God's fire burned like a wildfire that the Israelites were always trying to contain. Maybe God has felt a bit like that for you before. A God for whom you felt not enough. A wild flame you feared to approach, lest you be consumed. One woman described a wildfire this way. I saw it and I pulled over and watched the prairie burn. And when the sun came up, the earth, everything was black, scorched. And it felt like exactly how I felt. It felt like the end of the world. But then I learned, sometimes you have to scorch everything to start over. And after the burning, the soil is rich and life can grow there. Life that is maybe even better than what was there before. And people are like that too. They're resilient. Even from total devastation, they start over and they find a way. For some of us, when we read the Old Testament God, we see a wildfire that scorches everything a God who brings the end of the world. But then for us, Christ comes, and that is what changes everything for the New Testament author of the book of Hebrews that we read today, who claims that though God is still a consuming fire, new life has grown where there was once total devastation. We see this happen in nature all the time, like that woman's description of the prairie fire? Did you know that there are species of trees and plants that need fire for their seeds to sprout? Plants that can't survive unless they're heated to the point of burning. Like a phoenix, a tree can be reborn through fire. Plants like these are part of complex ecosystems that affect other life. For instance, the sole food of the endangered carner Blue Butterfly Caterpillar is a plant called the wild lupine. And without fire, the lupines will not flourish. The caterpillars won't consume enough food to undergo metamorphosis, and they will never transform into butterflies. What wildfires destroy is used to sustain life. Fire replenishes nutrients in the soil for new, stronger plant life to grow. Now, the ancient writers of scripture may not have known the science of fire, but they did have a philosophy of fire. The ancient Greeks knew the power and the effects of the flame. They claimed fire was the most fundamental of the four elements. Fire was believed to be the first element from which all life springs. Heraclitus called it the ever-living creator of the cosmos. Fire. And perhaps that's a bit of what today's text from Hebrews hopes we will understand about how a consuming fire can do more than just destroy. Our God is fire the ever-living creator of the cosmos, and from fire has created new things. To help its readers understand this, the author of the book of Hebrews brings us back to Sinai, the mountain ablaze with God's unapproachable presence. Anyone who touches the mountain will die. The author assures us that this is not the mountain where we now meet God. We no longer come to Sinai, but since Christ has come, we meet God at Mount Zion. Now Zion is both a literal and a figurative place in scripture. It refers to the ancient city of Jerusalem where God dwells, but it also refers to the heavenly city where God dwells in an eternal kingdom. Unlike Sinai's God, who required sacrifices of grain and meat to feed the consuming fire, Zion's fire does not require sacrifices over and over again. Its flame has been satiated by one final sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ. And since that time, the fire of God doesn't consume in the same way. That Old Testament word for consume meant to eat But in Greek, it means to use up. It's a subtle difference. And this word consume shows up only in this one place in all of Scripture, in the book of Hebrews. And it's in the middle voice, which means that it emphasizes self-interest. At Zion, when God consumes the sacrifice of Christ, God uses up the sacrifice for God's self. Like nutrients, God absorbs Christ in a way that God did not absorb the former sacrifices. Because of Christ, God is no longer burning like a wildfire, consuming insatiably. Christ is the candle wick for the flame that allows the fire of God to burn steadily. Our God, a consuming fire, now lights and heats the eternal kingdom where ritual sacrifices of food are not required. The only sacrifice worshipers need now offer is that of thanksgiving. Today's text from Hebrews ends this way, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks. By which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. The book of Hebrews shares with us this rich, ancient, sacrificial theology of the early church in such a way that scholars believe Hebrews is not actually a letter, it's not an epistle to the church, it's a sermon. And the preacher is preaching to those in that particular congregation who have only known a God who burns like wildfire. Evidence within this sermon suggests that the community receiving it has suffered and that some have even renounced their faith. So the preacher invites those who have walked away from God to return with a promise that Jesus' sacrifice has irrevocably altered the way that God interacts with humanity. God's flame does not consume the way it used to. So if you, like these ancient Hebrews, have been burned by the consuming fire of God, and parts of you are still laying in a scorched field somewhere, The preacher from Hebrews invites you to look down at the soil beneath your feet, see that now it is richer than it ever was before. New life can grow here after a fire, life that is maybe even better than it was before. People are resilient, even from total devastation we can start over. The good news in the book of Hebrews is that the consuming fire of God has been made approachable through Christ. It now burns to light and to warm rather than to scorch. So let your soul draw near to the flame with thanksgiving. For Jesus has made room for you and for all people at God's hearth in an eternal and unshakable kingdom that can never be taken away from you. Therefore, let us praise the grace and risk of fire, the poet writes. As fire cleanses dross, may the flame of passion burn away what is false. May courage cause our lives to flame in the name of the fire and of the flame and the light. Amen.